My name is Christina, and I'm a partner here at Mercy View. I will be reading tonight from Matthew 28, 16 through 19, and 1 Peter 3, 14 through 16. Matthew 28. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. 1 Peter 3, 14-16 But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Christina. Good evening. Welcome to Mercy View. My name is Brad, one of the pastors here. And if you are visiting with us tonight, honored that you've chosen to worship with us. Hope you've been encouraged by your time so far with us. We've actually got quite a bit to get through tonight. And so, in, in, usually I tell a story here, but uh, just don't have time for it tonight. Um, we need to jump into our, uh, our passages, and we've got really a special thing to do here in a moment as well that I'm really excited about. But uh, if you've been with us the last couple weeks, you know that we are in a series called Deeper, Every Partner, dot, dot, dot. And what we're doing over this series is, in particular, calling what we, we have uh, partners here at Mercy View, it's what we call members, calling them into deeper discipleship. And uh, if you are visiting with us tonight or you've been kind of peeking over the fence here at Mercy View for a bit, um, this is a great time to hang out with us because you are going to get in living color what we are all about or what we're pursuing together as a church in fact, really what uh, the elders, the leaders of this church felt a very deep conviction about is as we've moved out of uh, a season of real difficulty um, for everyone, uh, we are coming back together, regathering together as a, as a church, and with that comes some new rhythms and new patterns of, of living and thinking that we, we need to get back into the, into the uh, like get used to those, those things again, and we want to call you uh, to those things. In some ways, these seven weeks that we're in this series is kind of a, a, a glorified family meeting. Um, we're hanging out, talking about the ways that you and I should, the ways that you and I need to be a church family together. So again, if you're hanging out with us, you're visiting, it's a great opportunity to kind of see what our family cares about. We're, we're in the living room talking about what our present looks like, but also what we want to see our, our future look like uh, together. Another way we could talk about this series is to say this. Um, we are really talking about our new ministry philosophy as a church as well. And this particular week, we're looking at one of the pieces of that ministry philosophy, which is this. We want to partner with one another to expand God's kingdom as a church and with other like-minded believers and churches and organizations as well. So the, the ministry philosophy is this. What does it look like for us to come together around the mission of God, partnering together as individuals in this local church, but also recognizing we have got to link arms 
with like-minded churches and organizations as well to see the kingdom of God extend to the far reaches of this world. And so two weeks ago, we said this, every partner knowing and experiencing the gospel. That was really the first piece of our ministry philosophy. Last week, we said every partner equipped and cared for. And this week, we want to say every partner engaged in the work of the kingdom. So as we do that tonight, I want to invite you to see two things. First is this, Christians partner with Jesus in the work of the kingdom by discipling intentionally. Christians partner with Jesus in the work of the kingdom by discipling intentionally. And then second, Christians partner with Jesus in the work of the kingdom by living distinctively, by living distinctively. So if you have your Bibles in hand, or an electronic device that has a Bible on it, keep them open first to Matthew 28. That's where we're going to begin there in verse 18. Now, if you've been around the church very long, you have heard Matthew 28, the passage we looked at in Matthew 28 read. You probably even heard it preached over. In fact, um, Trey and I were talking earlier today. He actually preached on the companion passage in Acts 1, Matthew 28 and Acts 1. have a very, yeah, actually it's the same commission. It's just in two different spots. So you've actually heard that sermon here uh, at, at Mercy. We, we need to come back to it tonight just to remind ourselves of what the work of the kingdom is. And the idea of, of doing the work of the kingdom is just another way, it's sort of a catch-all phrase to describe what it means for you and I to be invited into and engaged in God's great mission in the world, particularly as we move from this place and scatter to the, the places we live and, and work and play. So that's how it connects to this third piece of our our, our ministry philosophy here. We want to partner in God's kingdom mission together as a church and with others who are like-minded. So first, we want to quickly look at the, the most, I think, important passage as it relates to the, the mission of God that we find in the Bible here in Matthew 28. And then we'll talk about what that looks like here at Mercy View. So if you would look with me again there, here's what it says again. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here we find uh, what we call the Great Commission. The commission that God has given to us. And I just want you to just think of that phrase for a moment. It is a great commission, right? That means it's something of immense value. And it, it is a commission. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. It starts with the, the, the letter C-O, right? Commission, which means that, that you and I are being invited into something with God. And what is that? It is his mission in the world. Let's look at what Jesus says is involved in this great commission. First, we go in the authority of Jesus. The sovereign, powerful authority of God goes before us in mission, and it empowers us in that mission together. And we don't go in our own strength. 
right? We go in the authority of Jesus, and as we think about the work of mission that we may be involved in, this should free us up, right? This should give us a sense of peace, a, a sense of freedom, and, 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 you know, it doesn't rely on us. As we move into mission with God, he strengthens us, he empowers us. In other words, another way we could say this is that, that, that God is the author of the mission we're a part of. So we get to get to get on those pages. He writes his story of mission through us in the world. But notice next he says, we go, right? In other words, we don't wait for mission to come to us. We move towards it. The way we say it here at Mercy View is this. We want to see the gospel move from where it is to where it isn't. And that could be here in our own city, it could be somewhere here in the country of the United States. It could be somewhere in the world. But we want to see the gospel move from where it is to where it isn't. And that takes intention on our part. We must move towards mission with purpose, with ambition. It doesn't just happen, right? It, it, it requires a resolve. It requires a determination. The next Jesus says, make disciples. Now, this is super important. Jesus is saying quite a bit with just two words here. Jesus is not saying make converts. Now, in order for a disciple to become a disciple, yes, evangelism absolutely must happen. We must be engaged in evangelism, sharing the story of Jesus with those around us in the hopes that they will cross the line from unbelief to belief. The Lord may give us the privilege to, to be a part of, of that harvest happening, but the in game, in mission, is not just to see people saved, as glorious as that is, but the, the end game is to see converts matured into disciples. And notice that, that, that he says, make disciples of all nations. The Jesus says that our, our missional efforts should look at all ethnicities, particularly those who are unreached. Those who are unengaged with the gospel, starting here in our own city, but then moving out into our country and, and also to those in other countries in the world. The gospel is meant to extend to all people, and, and one of the, the evidences of the gospel spreading is we see people getting baptized, right? This sort of external, this outward reflection of what has happened on the inside of them as they've come to know Jesus, they get baptized as a symbol that this salvation that they've experienced is real. Next, Jesus tells us how this happens. First, through teaching them, teaching disciples. There is a, a component of learning in the mission that God has called us to join in. Disciples need to be taught. They need to sit underneath Bible teaching. They need to be in context where they're studying the Bible, learning the scriptures, learning about themselves, learning about who God is, learning about the gospel. And if you're a Christian here tonight, as we've said in previous weeks, the way that that takes place is that you get in the way of it. You get in the way of places, contexts, where you can be taught. But as a disciple, which we all should be as well, we have to be ready to, excuse me, to be a discipler as, as we all should be. We have to be ready to teach others as well. Not just to receive, but to give. Now, don't mistake being a discipler for preaching what I'm doing right now. What Jesus means by teach here is that you can open up your Bible and teach others the truths of the scriptures, even in very informal ways. 
Like it can happen over your, your you know, kitchen table. It can happen at a coffee shop. You know, it can happen anywhere. Just are, are we able to open up our Bibles and teach us? If you can do that, you are a discipler. But then Jesus, as he's talking about how this works, he says, disciple making includes teaching, but it includes this idea of teaching others to observe what he's commanded. In other words, there is a lived out component of discipleship in mission. And it's not just a discipleship that results in understanding and more knowledge, but a discipleship that produces obedience. As we are on mission together, making disciples, what should be happening is that there is, is obedience happening as well. And Jesus is really connecting the great commission with the great commandment here. Like when Jesus summarized what obedience looks like, he said very simply, love the Lord your God and love others as you love yourself. So this learning is to result in a deeper love of God and a deeper love of others. They go hand in hand. A knowledge that puffs up instead of moving out is a knowledge that is terminated in on itself. And then lastly, Jesus ends the Great Commission in many ways how he started it. By saying, as you go out under the authority of God and in the strength of God, as you go, I am promising you something. I am promising you that, that there is going to be an ongoing presence with you in that work. It's the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He, he is coming to live inside of you to give you comfort and counsel as you go. Jesus in the Spirit gives us who, by the way, we are his plan A for sharing the gospel. He gives us continued strength, continued peace as we proclaim the saving purposes of Jesus in the world. And this lasts until the age ends, so until the Great Commission has been realized. Now, next week, uh, Trey, our staff deacon for discipleship, is going to dig down very deeply into this idea of, of discipleship even more. Um, but what I want you to see this week, what I'm trying to communicate is this, the call to disciple others, to make disciples is baked into the call to mission. Are you with me? They are intertwined when we, if you're going to talk about the mission of God, you have to talk about discipleship. Like when we talk about mission here at Mercy View, at its very heart, we're talking about molding disciples, shaping disciples, making disciples. If our attempts at mission don't end in the formation of disciples, we are not on God's mission. Like we may be doing really good things, like good works even that benefit this city. Benefit society at large. But if we aren't making disciples, we are not engaged in the unique privilege that we've been given as Christians to spread the good news of the gospel and then to see that gospel change and transform people. Like, again, we could do a lot of things. And sometimes those things can be bridges to sharing the gospel. But if the end game isn't resulting in more disciples being made, we're no different than any group here in our own city that's just doing good things for the city. And they're doing great things for the city. 
But you realize we've been given the unique responsibility and role as God's plan A and mission to share the good news of the gospel and see that gospel transform others. So if you're going to be engaged with mission here at Mercy View, to be engaged in the work of the kingdom here, that is the end game. This really leads me to the first thing that I want to invite you to see this evening, and it's this. Christians partner with Jesus in the work of the kingdom by discipling intentionally. Christians partner with Jesus in his work in the kingdom, the Great Commission, by discipling intentionally. So, if that is the 30,000-foot view of mission from the perspective of Jesus, what I want to do next is talk about one of the ways that I think it works itself out in the life of a believer and also how I think it needs to begin to work itself out in the life of a local church like Mercy View. So if you would, turn with me to First Peter that you also heard Christina read earlier. First Peter chapter 3, beginning in verse 15. While you're doing that, let me just tell you, the book of First Peter was written by the Apostle Peter, one of the original 12 apostles. So Peter would have walked with Jesus, he would have served along Jesus in his earthly ministry. And because of what he experienced with Jesus in his earthly ministry, in in the death and resurrection of Jesus, uh, Peter would have been impacted deeply by that. He could have written about a lot of things, but the theme of 1 Peter is, uh, you can tell it was marked by his, his time with Jesus because here it is. The theme was that those who persevere in faith while suffering persecution can still be full of present hope because of their future hope. Because they know in the future they are going to spend an eternity with Jesus. That's the context of our, our passage today. So actually, if you would, look, look back at verse 14 if, in, in uh, 1 Peter 3. Let me just read beginning there. It says this. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Let me just stop right there. Now, when we see the word suffer here in in verse 14, um, it doesn't actually mean the kind of suffering that you and I typically think of. when, Even in the Bible, when we see the word suffering, what it means it actually has a, a more narrow meaning for us here, 1 Peter 3, verse 14. It's not the kind of suffering that, that you might experience if you're going through a really difficult health challenge or, or the kind of suffering where you've experienced maybe a job loss or, or maybe even the death of a loved one. Now, all those things are suff- things that, that, are, uh, that contribute to suffering in our lives. But there's a narrow meaning here, and this is what, what uh, Peter's getting at that. It says, if you should suffer... For righteousness' sake, when he says that, we are beginning to get a, a window in to what kind of suffering Peter is talking about. Friends, Peter is talking about some form of suffering because of your faith. He's saying that as you live righteously, that is, as he says here, you are honoring Christ the Lord as holy, your words, your actions, Your attitude, 
should reflect the righteousness of God. Right? That's what it should look like. And, and what Peter is saying here is what can happen then if you live in that way is there could be some form of suffering that comes your way. Some form of antagonism or opposition that you might encounter in your life. Now, it must be said that here in the West, even today, like you and I are not experiencing the kind of persecution that other believers in the world are experiencing. Um, I looked at an article today. Uh, every year, a, a ministry called Open Doors does a, a study of the most persecuted places in the world. And uh, our country is not even on the list. It's not even close. But even here in the West, there seems to be an increasing animosity, maybe we could even say hostility, towards Christianity. And so with that comes, if you're going to live righteously, if you're going to live in such a way that you're honoring Christ through the holiness of, of your life, it, Peter's saying it's, it's possible, it could happen that you might encounter some kind of suffering. But notice what, what Peter says. He says that if you should suffer in that way, do not have fear, do not be troubled in your hearts, but know that you will be blessed because of it. Peter's echoing the Beatitudes uh, of, of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount whenever Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Peter is saying that God is pleased when his people show that they value him above everything else in the world. He's saying that this happens when you and I courageously remain faithful and whenever even opposition comes our way for righteousness' sake. But I don't want you to miss what, what Paul is saying in another way here. This suffering comes, this, this uh, opposition comes because you and I are living our faith out loud. You guys know the, the song that if you grew up in the church, you sang as a kid, we are not hiding it under a bushel. In other words, there is a visible or outward component to our faith. That's the only reason Peter would say this is why the opposition is coming. It's because people see it. They hear it. Now look with me there in the middle of verse 15. Again, Peter assumes that this righteous living and our righteous words could lead to some form of hardship or adversity. But then he says something really interesting. He says that how we respond to that may make a pathway to mission in our lives. Look there. He says that when others notice that we handle this opposition with a peace that passes understanding, it will intrigue them. Now, it would intrigue everybody. But it will bring about a sense of curiosity among some that you are around. So much so, Peter assumes that they are going to ask you this question. How can you have this sense of calm and rest when you are suffering because of your faith? And this is where the pathway of mission comes in. Peter says that when that question comes to you, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Peter is saying here that one of the ways that you and I live out our slice of the Great Commission 
is through first holy living. And then Peter says that this could result in some form of opposition. Now, as a side note here, some of you aren't experiencing this kind of of opposition because your lives aren't distinctive. We all need to wrestle with that tonight. But Peter says that as we live distinctively, as we experience opposition towards that distinctive living, we look to Jesus for peace and resolve. And then when that sort of peace and resolve is noticed by others, we must be ready to tell others about the hope that is in us. We, we have to be ready to, to answer the question of, of how can you respond with such grace and calm in the face of this? Really, how we handle suffering of any kind is pre-evangelism. It's, it's creating tracks for others to be drawn to Jesus. When we live in this way, we are engaged in the work of the kingdom. And this leads me to the second thing I want to invite you to see this evening. Christians partner with Jesus in the work of the kingdom by living distinctively. Christians partner with Jesus in the work of the kingdom in the Great Commission by living distinctively, both in, the, in like our, our righteous living, but then in the way that we answer others about that. Now, there's a difference, friends, in giving a defense of our faith and being defensive about our faith. Most Christians are pretty good at being defensive about their faith. But to be ready to give a defense, again, first means living a life that is so different that it evokes questions from others and then being prepared to answer those questions well. We do it with gentleness. We do it with respect. And I, and, and I don't know if you're, you're catching this yet, but I have not yet said, here's the tool to share, you know, this is the evangelism tool. Now, I, tools are super helpful. In fact, if you need to grow in your evangelism, it's, it's super helpful to learn some kind of tool to be able to sort of share that on a napkin or a piece of paper with someone. But I want you to notice what Peter is, is doing here. He's really saying effective, like missional living doesn't come from mastering an evangelistic presentation. Again, tools can be helpful, but what he is saying that it comes from living in a way that provokes a question. So let me ask you, when was the last time someone asked you the reason for your joy? When they observed you? Like, when was the last time that someone posed the question to you about the hope that is within you? Then the other side of the coin is this. Are, are you ready to share if you were asked that question? Like what would you say if you were asked that question? Here's the point of why we're looking at 1 Peter 3 uh, on the other side of Matthew 28. Some of us look at the Great Commission in Matthew 28 and, and what we f- focus on is the word great. And it is great. It is a great commission. But we get, I think, overwhelmed by the word great. It gets feeling like lofty and and aspirational. And and frankly, we don't see how we play a part in something so grand, something so great. But the point of Matthew 28 isn't to overwhelm us to the point where we're like, "I, I guess I'll let other people do it. But it's 
It's to help us see how you and I individually and as local churches together put our energies together and collectively engage in the great commission. Yes, it's great. God's mission in the world is an expansive call. But somehow in God's economy, when we join our missional efforts together with Jesus, we contribute to accomplishing that great commission. And one of the primary ways that you and I do this is by living a 1 Peter 14 through 16 kind of life. So here's the deal. That means every single person in this room can do that, right? We can live in a way that our lives prompt questions about the hope that is in us. Now, here's what I want to do as we land the plane tonight. I want us to talk real practically about how Mercy View is thinking about how we partner with Jesus in the work of the kingdom, how we live this living hope out that resides in us. And first, I want to really just talk about the clearest commitment that we are trying to make as we engage in the work of the kingdom here at Mercy View. Um, the, the value of mission here at Mercy View, the, the, the ministry philosophy of being engaged in the, in the work of the kingdom requires attention. It requires leadership. And in some ways on on the other side of, 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 of what we've walked through over these, these last two and a half years, um, it requires us to think anew and freshly about mission, I believe. And so, as you know, we have been um, talking with you over the last few months about the great privilege we've had to uh, really empower one of our own partners to help us do that. Uh, and as you know, uh, about three months ago, we brought Alan Hill before you and said that he was going to be entering into a season of testing and training uh, to, uh, Lord willing, be installed as our deacon for mission here at Mercy View. And I'm happy to say that um, after these three months have been uh, completed, that Alan has overwhelmingly been affirmed to be installed as Mercy View's next deacon for mission. So I want to do something uh, a little not normal in the middle of a sermon, but it's, I think, appropriate for tonight. Uh, I want to invite, actually, Alan and Rachel Hill to, to join me here uh, on the stage uh, as we uh, talk a little bit more about this. Hey, guys. All right. If you don't know, this is Alan. This is Rachel Hill, partners with us here at Mercy View. Alan, you have been called to be ordained to the ministry of, of deacon here at Mercy View. And Mercy View now confirms your calling through what we're getting ready to do, this installation. And we've talked about this over the last few months. You entered into this time of testing and training with this kind of seriousness. But to be a deacon means that you are called to serve rather than be served, to proclaim the faith of the church to look after the concerns of God above all. A deacon is called to share in Christ's ministry of servanthood. So tonight, as we think about the weightiness of this call, we want to do something to just sort of uh, commemorate, uh, commemorate this moment by asking you to commit by saying, I do, to a few things here. All right, so I'll read these commitments, and you can respond by saying, I do. Alan, 
one must consider soberly and seriously whether they will undertake this responsibility in a manner that pleases Christ. And I want to remind you of some important aspects of that character and conduct of a deacon and ask you before God and these witnesses to indicate your, uh, your uh, pledge by saying, I do. Alan, do you commit to undertake the role of deacon, understanding that to be a deacon is to be a servant, reflecting Jesus, who it says in Philippians 2, 6 through 7, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Alan, do you commit to serve the elders with humility and submission, seeking to serve them by relieving the burden of ministry for them so that they can be devoted to leading Mercy View as its spiritual leaders as we see the, the spirit of that in Acts 6? Alan, do you commit to conform your character to that of Christ, to be dependent on the Holy Spirit, and to pursue wisdom as servants in the role of deacon as outlined in 1 Timothy 3, 8 through 13? Thank you, Alan. Now, Mercy View, it's your turn. Brothers and sisters, you also make a commitment tonight to confirm Alan as a deacon placed in this position by the Lord. I want to ask you if you would be willing to indicate your willingness to confirm Alan by responding to the following question with the words, we do. All right, here, go, here it goes. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says... Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Mercy of you, do you pledge to respectfully follow Alan in such a manner, seeking to bring them joy in his responsibilities? If so, respond by saying, we do. At this time, I'd actually like to ask you, Pastor John, to, to come up here and join me. Um, Alan and Rachel, I want to ask you to do something. I want to ask you to actually kneel here on the platform, if you would. And we want to lay hands on you. Yeah, you can come over here. 1 Timothy 1, 6 through 7 says that fan into the flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Alan and Rachel, we lay hands on both of you because the ministry, Alan, that you have been called to, you enter in together. Rachel, you'll be helping him as you are able. And uh, I want you really to both hear this charge from 1 Timothy 1, 6 through 7. Let's pray together. This moment, God, is a moment where we want to apply this, this passage in real time. We want to fan into flame the gift that you have given to Alan to serve us in this way. And as we symbolize that by the laying on of hands... Lord, what we are reminded of tonight is that you're laying your hands on Alan and Rachel. And Lord, you are releasing them into this to give them not a spirit of fear, but of power. So Lord, we pray that you would give power, that, that your power would flow through Alan in this work that he's um, taking on. And Lord, uh, uh, not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of love, that it would be done in love. And not a spirit of fear, but a spirit of self control. Lord, we fan into flame the gift of God. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You guys can stand back up. Alan, we want to congratulate you and want to present you to the church here as the newest ordained deacon at Mercy View. Let's thank the Lord for what he's done here. Yeah. <laughs> 
We are honored that you're serving our church in this way, already have been, and, and will continue to, and thankful for both of you and the way that you serve our church in so many other ways. Um, praise the Lord. Amen. Yeah, you guys can be dismissed. Thank you so much. Oh, wait, actually, Alan, you have to stay here. Rachel, you're dismissed. Alan's going to stay. My bad. Here, here's why. I want Alan to stay up here because... I want to talk more about the practical outworking of mission here at Mercy View. Alan and I have been spending a lot of time over the last few months talking together about this, and I want him to share a little bit here in just a moment. But I want to talk um, about one of the ways that you and I can have intentionality in our First Peter 3 living. And uh, some of this is going to sound familiar because we, we've talked about some of this before, but um, we, we said that this thread that runs through all of our kingdom work is is living missionally, right? What, and really that is the question for us tonight is what does a missional lifestyle require? And it requires a lot. It requires prayer, requires trust and faith in the Lord. It requires intentionality. But one thing that we, I think, neglect to remember or we just forget, I'm not sure what happens, but it requires relationships like with other people, right? Those who don't know Jesus. And, uh, you and I have been placed in workplaces and neighborhoods, places where you play, to have those kinds of relationships. And so we need to embrace the idea that we're to be living missionally in, in all of those spaces. And so to help us have some more intentionality in this, we are rebooting something that we did last year. And we want to ask you to join us as we pursue the, the, the work of the Great Commission together by, uh, by engaging in this initiative called Who's Your One? So I just want you to imagine something. Imagine if every member, every partner of our church could answer the question, who's your one, with the name of a person for whom they're praying for and whom they're sharing the gospel. Like how would that change their life? How would that change our church? How would that change our city? And I, I, uh, I want to invite Alan just for a moment to share with you um, just some of the ways that we're, trying, we're going to try to help you here. And this will be kind of a, an emphasis over the next 40 days or so here at Mercy View for what it looks like for you to figure out who is your one and how to begin to pray for them and serve them. And so um, maybe grab this mic right here, Alan. And uh, what are some of the, the ways that uh, folks can begin to, to answer this question? How do we want to encourage them? So Sloan's mic. Hello, hello. Maybe Test. One, there two, we go. There, there we go. go. So I I think uh, and you you nailed it with prayer. I think it starts with praying for yeah. that person. That really grows your heart for them, and then you start thinking, okay, how am I going to, you know, what conversations will I have with that person? So prayer, yeah, is a big deal. Yeah, um, yeah. So it begins with prayer, as the Lord begins to um, lay on our our heart. A person, which I think that's a prayer he wants to answer, right? As we we pray that prayer, um, what are what are some next steps, or, or what are some ways that that uh, our folks can begin to think about how to connect with those people? So, <clears throat> I don't know. Do you want me to talk? Yeah, about let's just this? do this. Okay. Yeah. So, who's your one uh, is a resource that uh, there's really some practical tips here. I mean. So we've been talking theoretical a lot, but really when it comes down to the rubber meeting the road, okay, like what, you know, what are some questions that are, you know, that I can just ask somebody, you know? And so 
there's a sheet. Um, I think we have them all yeah. up here, but actually, I need somebody be, to hand these out. Um, yeah, if I can. Um, so you'll have that in a moment. But Thank you, sir. the first part of this is finding your one. So Thank it's you, going to be someone who, I mean, just think about your spheres of where you hang out, where you work. Um, if there's someone who comes to mind as your one, so the first step is going to be finding your one and praying about that. Um, then showing them love, serving them, yeah. and then being intentional about what conversations uh, can you uh, begin to have with that person. So, and that involves boldness and courage. Yeah, for sure. So what you're getting right now, uh, we're just going to give this to everybody tonight just to make sure we get it in front of you is what Alan just talked about. Finding your one, serving your one, and starting the conversation with your one. Um, also, as you leave here tonight, um, right as you're going out the, the second set of doors here, uh, do you want to tell them about what's out there on the table? Yeah, so that you'll see also a bookmark in the back in the middle on a little podium. So if everyone can take a bookmark, there's a spot to write the name of your one on that bookmark. Then there are 30 verses of scripture to, to pray for your one uh, through, the, through scripture um, over 30 days. We're actually doing this for, I think, like maybe 42 days. Yeah. So you'll just get to the bottom and go back to the top again or... Yeah. yeah, so that the bookmark will be really helpful for us to just keep it in front of us, to be reminded, to pray scripture over the, the process. Did you mention the right. prayer guides too? No, so yeah. there are, um, there's 10 prayer guides out there. If you are a, someone who loves to journal, like my wife Rachel, uh, journaling prayers, grab one of those as well. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the same verses that are on the bookmark, just in a pamphlet form where you can write journal, you know, journal prayers and journal yeah. entries, so... And I'll just say one more thing about this real quick, and then we'll, we'll move on. One of the, the reasons why we want to talk about this again as a church is that this is really at the core of what it means to live a missional lifestyle, the, the thing that you and I can all do, right? Sometimes when we talk about the mission, um, you know, the Great Commission, we said earlier, it feels a little overwhelming. Even in a local church, when we talk about God's mission here and the things that we're engaged in, you may struggle with finding kind of your entry point into that. And we, we've talked a lot about that over the last few months. But we really feel like um, this particular initiative, encouragement to you, uh, is something we can all do. This is the way that, that really I think mission, has, this is where it needs to start. And so uh, I want to encourage you to, to, to really jump into this with us. And, um, and then one more, I guess I will say one more thing about it. We want to hear your stories as well. Um, one of the places that we want this kind of conversation to continue is in your gospel communities. And so if you're a gospel community leader, we want to encourage you to ask this question frequently. Um, who are your ones and, and, and how can we be praying for them and, and uh, it should be a normal rhythm. But we, if you're a gospel community leader here, we, I know Alan is going to be in touch with you and like to hear how that process is going and, and would love to hear some of those stories. We would love to if you would give us permission to even begin sharing some of those stories. And we want to give you an example of what a story, uh, a very, it's real, it's a real story, but uh, an example of what this might look like. Alan, I, I actually asked him to share. He shared with me a story this week about a recent trip he took to Europe. And tell us about the car ride conversation real quick. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I've never been to Europe before, but had a 
you know, I was told, you know, just a few days in advance, hey, uh, work trip to Europe, and I thought, okay, yeah, sounds great. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, so it, I was a week there, and um, with uh, several people from my customer's company, and we traveled around in a couple vans, and there's this guy from Scotland that, um, <clears throat> so I'd been praying, you know, I mentioned prayer, uh, just a second ago, but I think, I truly think that, you know, we need to pray. And so on this trip, I was praying, okay, Lord, who and what and when, you know, give me eyes to see uh, an opportunity to share truth about you. And so eventually a few days into it, um, there was an opportunity that the Lord brought. And, um, and so he, uh, this Scottish guy and his beautiful accent was telling me about his uh, his kids and just how uh, inquisitive kids are and how rational too you know they just think you know kind of figuring things out and uh, he told me that they went to a church school but that um, they're only there because he he thinks it's good for their behavior and so um, <clears throat> and so he uh, we you know, and then he gave me a story too of an example of his kid um, just uh, being thinking for himself, and uh, and so his kid came home one day uh, from a religious studies class, and he asked his dad, "Okay, is does God exist?" And uh, this guy he told his son, "Well, I have my own opinions on it, but uh, I want you to think for yourself and figure that out." And so. Um, a few weeks later, his son came to him and told him, you know what, I've, I've decided that God does not exist, and here's the reasons, you know, for that. And, um, and the guy said that, you know, there were good reasons. And, and at that point, I was, so all along this conversation, I was praying in the moment, okay, Lord, what, what do you want me to say? And, and uh, I, I spoke up and told him, you know, that I believe differently on that, and that, um, I do believe God exists, and just looking at creation and my personal experience with God, um, yeah, believe differently on that. So uh, he got saved right on the he, spot, right? Right. No. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah. So then we talked about just how important it is for people who disagree to be able to respect one another, and. Um, he brought that up, and which I totally agreed with. Um, and then he talked about, okay, did you know? Do you believe? What do your parents believe? And I told him, well, you know, they are Christians too. And um, but I said that you know my faith really became my own when I went to college. And uh, so we talked about how it is good to um, make your faith your own. And um, so. Yeah, it ended up just being a, a great conversation, um, and I think uh, it's, you know, it didn't go much further than that, but, you know, it is those, I think it is those little steps of just stepping out in faith, because if anyone knows me, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy that does not like to rock the boat and um, to be, you know, to say something that someone may, you know, get a, uncom uncomfortable with, right. so... Um, so yeah, I was super thankful and I think the Lord just gave me joy after that. Like, okay, 
you know, I was faithful with that encounter. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that could lead to, I mean, he's, he's a customer of mine, so we may have other conversations in the future, Lord willing. Yeah, that's great. What I love about Alan's story is um, it isn't, you know, some sort of spectacular story. Uh, uh, it is a story of faithfulness. And when we think about living missionally, living faithfully, um, that's, that's what God is calling us to. Um, he's calling us to just be faithful. But it does require some stuff. You heard Alan say prayer. It requires a boldness and a courage. Um, but some of what we do in, in our, our missional lifestyle is we plant seeds. I think that's what Alan did. And then sometimes if we have more conversations with the same person, we get to water that seed. And then there's that opportunity that, that comes along where we have the privilege to lead someone to Jesus. We get to see their soul harvested from all of the watering of that seed that grew. And that's what the Lord is calling us to as a church. Um, we have a lot of other aspirations in mission here at, at Mercy View. And uh, we're going to begin talking about those. We'll probably at our, our potluck. In a couple of weeks, we're going to talk a little bit more practically about some of the other ways that that plays itself out here locally, uh, even stateside and, and globally. But we're really excited about how the Lord wants to use this particular emphasis and initiative to see people's lives change. So we want to invite you into it. Thank you, Alan, for your story. Thank you, brother. Um, Christians partner with Jesus in the work of the kingdom by discipling intentionally. Christians partner with Jesus in the work of the kingdom by living distinctively. Friends, you and I have been invited to join God in his great mission in the world in this way. Let's join his mission together. Amen. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father.